Hi everyone, I'm Les. And I'm Ashley. And you're listening to Anthropotamus, where we explore some of your favorite anthropology topics. Hello everyone, welcome to our latest episode of Anthropotamus. We'll be discussing the book, Academic Outsider, Stories of Inclusion and Hope, written by Dr. Victoria Reyes. Uh, I have to say I really enjoyed this book. It was, okay, so everybody knows, we usually do Audible. This book was not on Audible. And I'm, and I always say, if your book is more than four hours on Audible, it's too long for me because I'm so impatient. Um, but I pretty much read this book in like three days, which says a lot for me. It's, um, her, her writing is very straightforward, easy to get through. Um, and I, I really related to a lot of it. Full disclosure here, uh, I have not had any time to sit down and read this book. I fully intend to do so, but yeah, I I am the I'm the slacker this go round. So um, <laughs> I think what we're gonna do is uh, Ashley is gonna tell me exactly why I should have read this book and <laughs> and uh, what I missed out on so far. Um, yeah, I think that sounds good. How about you? Honestly, I think even as, okay, because it, it discusses a lot how the academic system is really for middle class, upper class white males. Um, you being a white male, even yeah. though you are a white guy, mm-hmm. um, I do think you might, because you do, you are trying to balance work life and school, you'd be able to relate to some of this. I also grew up in a, a much um, lower class mm-hmm. area um, with a, a much lower class budget for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, four siblings and uh, and neighbor kids living with us for for other reasons. Uh, we'll we'll do that to you. There, so you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that I was middle class. So maybe you know, I, I think that you're right. I, I would probably relate to this. Well, some of it. You don't have kids, so true. <laughs> and... True. I do have I do have dogs. I have a dog. Don't and count. I... Does not count. Fur babies. Uh, I, I think that we have a significant portion of our audience that has fur babies. and uh, I'm sure they agree. do, but uh, <laughs> you can leave your fur babies a home alone when they're puppies. That's can't. also true. Well, yeah. I mean, depends on how old they are. You can kennel. Once they're, once they're old enough to be kennel trained, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't do that with a baby. No, can't kennel train a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, see, write that down. We'll put that on one of our T-shirts when we start selling them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? Um, she discusses her childhood a bit. Um, and compared, I mean, I, I grew up in a middle-class household. Uh, both my parents worked. So in a way, I'm extremely privileged. And, and you know, working where, where the two of us have worked in the past uh, around a lot of low-income people who come from low-income families, I've, I've – it's something I've acknowledged for a long time that I am very privileged. At least I've had a, you know, privileged childhood. Um, so in that aspect, I, I can't really relate to that. She had a very difficult childhood growing up without a father and a mother who wasn't always really there. But, you know, that feeling of being an outsider growing up, having parents who wanted me to be very American, um, which kind of disconnected me from my Mexican culture, but at the same time, kind of left me in a, a limbo, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really relate to the Mexican culture, but I don't really fit into the white American culture. So I'm kind of like stuck in between, not really belonging anywhere. 
¿Por qué no los dos? What? I probably have a terrible accent. Uh, I said, uh, I tried to say, why not both? I don't know if that's how you say that because I don't even speak Spanish, so... Well, there you go. I've been uh, learning Spanish for a couple of years and I can, I can understand the conversation, but... Uh, Yeah, I can't speak it either. Oh, no, I've taken several years of Spanish. I still cannot speak it. That's just how my, my brain just can't learn languages. But I mean, but going to learning Spanish is that's one of my first memories moving to, you know, King City in Central California. This is my first, I was in first grade and I was always was told I was Mexican. But then I actually go move into a town that is a majority Mexican-American And I am, did not feel like I fit in, even as a young child. And I remember one of my first memories on my first day of school was we're sitting around in a big circle waiting for the teacher to read to us. And one of the students asked me, can you speak Spanish? And I'm like, no. And it spread like wildflower, wildfire across the class. She doesn't speak Spanish. She doesn't speak Spanish. And it's like all of a sudden I'm not, you know, I don't exactly pariah. fit in. So, I mean, it was really this, Yes, I had a privileged upbringing, but at the same time, as culturally, I didn't fit in. Um, and I, I oftentimes still feel like that, like, where do I belong? Mm -hmm. um, so I related a lot to that. Um, it's a really, oh man, there's, there was a part in the book and And jump in anytime now, Les, so this episode isn't all about me talking. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying hearing you. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that was that, uh, learning a little more about, uh, about your, your formative years. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's very interesting. Muy interesante. <laughs> um, there was one, one part in the book where I really felt her and I just felt it hit my heart. Like, I'm just like, oh, no. Um. Uh, But she's discussing where she goes to this potluck with a bunch of, you know, the professionals. And she's like the only brown woman there. It's mostly white women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you know, when you go to certain gatherings, there's just certain social rules, like certain things, you know, to talk about or not to talk about. Or, you know, you should have certain man ma mannerisms. But she's discussing she's going to this potluck. It's like all white women and then her. And. She's just there awkwardly in front of the food, you know, with her wine or whatever, trying to listen and act like she's part of the group. And then somebody asked her about her mentor. And then she goes and she goes, the first thing she brings up is how wonderful her mentor was, because when she had her miscarriage, you know, she was there for her, which is a great compliment for her mentor. But, you know, bringing up your miscarriage to somebody At the beginning yeah. of a conversation with somebody is not something you typically do in those. Yeah, that that would make things uncomfortable. Yeah, and like, and she's describing how this woman's just staring at her, like, what? Like, what did you? And then say? she's just like, oh no, I said the wrong thing, and she switches the topic to like the book her mentor <laughs> just came out with or something. That's but, I can like that sounds very sad, but also like oh, I can just man. imagine how that conversation would go. Yeah, and then. And then when, when I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, my God, that's like me at every, like, every gathering I ever go to is me trying to participate and saying something I shouldn't say because I'm just so socially awkward. And I wasn't, this is not how, you know, I didn't grow up learning to socialize like that. Um, yeah. 
it's, yeah, so I just, I, I felt that. I definitely felt that. Um, and then she came up, made up an excuse and left like 30 minutes later saying she had to go home because of her kids or whatever. I'm thinking that is something I would do. I would totally do that. Sorry, guys. I left the iron on. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, mm-hmm. I think I, I left the oven on. I have to go home. Bye. <laughs> I got to take my frog for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, oh, such a pain. Pain. That I think that I remember that because that was something I could just it just brought me back to all my past awkward moments. Yeah, you know I I gotta say I feel like awkward moments are part of the human experience. <sighs> yes, but when you when you're trying to make a first impression and all you do is make inappropriately awkward moments, it's not a good thing. I get that, but I honestly, like, okay, so everybody knows that one person who is, like, a social butterfly and is just perfect. They just, everybody loves them. Yes, that's my husband. I hate that. <laughs> uh, everybody knows that one person. And you usually aside from marry those, that, if you're the awkward person, I think you usually marry that person. <laughs> oh, God, I don't, I don't know which, it, you know, between me and Brit, I think that... I don't know. You're the social between me and you. You're the social one. I I've worked very hard at uh, being at getting better at socialization, and uh, a lot of that is the reason. It's part of the reason I got into anthropology in the first place, was um, just reading up on human uh, interaction and behavior. And uh, like originally, I'd planned on going to sociology, um, but I liked anthropology better. Um, Cultural anthropology really struck a chord with me and it kind of uh kind of made me realize that you know what yes I'm awkward but it's largely because I don't have the same context that other people have so it was a skill that I could learn and practice but I mean here's the thing is though when we like you say you work really hard at being social but like when I you know when you come to my house for a get-together you're the one outside with every all the extroverts talking with everybody and Brits inside with the introverts eating all the food, you know, it's, with the rest of us. That's literally because I read in a textbook <laughs> that you that that people do stuff like that. I'm like, okay, so we've got two different groups. I need to make time between both of them. So I'm gonna go outside, listen to the conversation for a few minutes and then chime in. <laughs> and that's kind of literally what I did. Like, um, it it helps that we have similar like you're like Jose and uh, and all of his friends were talking about um, gaming and I'm like all right I know some things about games I know things about computers um, I can talk at least half intelligently about most of these topics so I'm okay but if I had walked into a conversation about football nope I'm good oh, I yeah. have nothing we don't, we don't talk about sports in my household <laughs> neither one of us do. Just well, there happen. we that that's probably why we all get along. <laughs> we all, I mean, we make friends with people we have things in common with. But so when I, you know, first started my photography business and I tried to start, I, you know, became a member of like um, the Sweating Association and I tried going to their networking events to try to, you know, networking is very important. Granted, I mm-hmm. hate trying to meet new people. I'm so socially awkward, but I know it's important. So I actually started YouTubing how to network. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the things it, it says is, you know, you want to, you know, to make yourself look good basically and make connections is, you know, always offer to help. Yeah. So that's something I kind of try to do, especially when I'm having trouble connecting with people and participating mm-hmm. in conversations. I'll just ask somebody, hey, do you need help with that? Because then it makes it look like I'm being I'm being an active participant and I'm helping when really it's I'm trying to get out of trying to have conversations with people. Um, something else she brought up that I really related to. Actually, a lot of things are related to. But she brings up um, the expense of going to conferences. Oh, gosh. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I just I just booked my hotel room for the SAA conference, which is yeah. at the end of the month. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to make it to that one. No, it's ridiculously expensive for a hotel room. So uh-uh. she's discussing, you know, you're paying a, even for a cheaper conference in a like a low-income area. You're paying at least $1,000 for a hotel and plane, plane ticket. <coughs> when really it's actually more because uh-huh. the SAAs, um, this year is in Portland. Oh gosh. And and what I learned this year is this is only my second year going to conferences, but this year I learned that the organization will will like block out hotel rooms for um people who are attending. And then they also have student discount rooms. And if I guess at least for the for like the AABAs or whoever or PPAs um, if they don't book all those rooms, the association has to pay for the rooms that don't get booked. I don't know if that's for every conference, but at least for PPA, that is. So SAA, SAA conference has like four hotels where you can get a student discount this year. Hmm. I didn't, by the time I had registered and gone online to look at their student discounts, like three of the four hotels, or I think it's like five hotels, but like two or three of them, they were already booked for Friday for some reason. So uh-huh. it's like, okay, so you have the student discount for me, but I can't get book a room at this hotel for each day. I would only be able to be at this hotel for part of the week and then have to go to a different hotel. Like, why would I do That's that? Weird. And then I'm going and looking at student discount prices and they're almost like $200 for each hotel room. So uh, I just, anyways... She has a whole section talking about the cost and like even her as a professor, you know, even if you're getting reimbursed, that still means you have to put it on your credit card and then get reimbursed later. And then a lot of the money she's getting reimbursed for doesn't even cover all the expensive. It's only covers partial. (laughs) So it's like, okay, you have professors who can barely afford to go. And then you sit there and talk about, oh, how do we get more students to participate? Maybe Mm. not have conferences in Portland. Maybe try smaller cities like Sacramento. Like what? Why? Why was it chosen? Why was? Why did they choose Portland in the first place? And you know what? I I don't know. Maybe people don't like. Um, well, I... I'm still I'm still reeling over the fact that Portland is so expensive. Like, it seems like. Isn't it like super cold up there? Like, why would you? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess from my understanding is um, there's a lot of states they don't want to have their conferences anymore for political reasons because, um, you know, you know, the divide between whatever laws are going on with conservative laws that are being pushed and stuff. So they're trying to focus more on certain states, but a lot of times those states are more expensive, like California is very expensive. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and we are probably one of the most friendly states to anthropology, so. Yeah, so, but come on, like, L.A. versus Sacramento, who's going to be able to afford, you know? I mean, Sacramento has an airport. Sacramento has a convention center. Like, why aren't we going to these smaller cities that are going to be more affordable? Mm-hmm. And why are you putting all these, like, unless you're, you know, unless you have a two-income household. I mean, I'm technically a two-income household with my veteran benefits, but still, it's a lot. It's a lot of money. And when, you know, you want you want to ask people, why can't you come? How do we get you to come? But then you don't want to lower the cost. Like, what do you expect? Here's my rent there because I just had a book hotel room for the SAAs. Yeah, well- I mean, it, it does make it feel like it's a business and not a, um, mm-hmm. you know, not for for the people. And, and I doubt there. I mean, honestly, I doubt the conferences are really making any money with the, the, because renting a venue is very expensive, especially when you're renting out like the whole venue, like a big convention center. It's not cheap. And I get you have to cover that cost. But at the same uh, time, why aren't you booking cheaper venues? Yeah, I don't know. Places out here are pretty expensive too, but we have so many different venue options in this city. Well, to have a conference at that size, there's really only like maybe two, three places. But still, how 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 big are they thinking for that conference? Like, how many people do do really expect to be there? Uh, I don't. I've never been to the SAAs. I've only been to AFS, and AFS was pretty big. It was like two floors yeah uh, yeah we still have plenty of places yeah you have the convention center downtown that yeah would work. i mean and then you have um and if it's if you do it in the time of year that's not storming like you can we have um like the outdoor amphitheaters we have a few of those around you have sleep train uh, uh-huh. so i don't think sleep train will work actually no? Uh, no i mean they can't be charging much anymore <laughs> I know, right? No, but I think the the layout wouldn't work for the conference because you have people going to different rooms to do different presentations. Yeah, you know that when it was ba- back when it was Arco Arena, the only time the only times I've ever been to that arena or that place was when my sister graduated and <laughs> a I went to a WWE thing back when it was WWF. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I've only been in there once, and that was when I graduated from Sac State. There you go. If that, it, you know, if state schools can afford it, then I think that'd probably be more. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> if Sac State can afford to have a graduation there, um, she she's also describing right. Um, she didn't describe her relationship with her children's. At least I don't. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I I I read it and I totally missed it, but. You know, the father of her two children aren't there. Her grandma helps her uh, watch her children while she's at work and stuff. Um, and she does, you know, discuss the difficulties of trying to raise children. And although she has help from her grandmother, still trying to balance out work and the kids is still difficult. And, you know, I could also relate that relate to that as somebody who's had to work and come home and take care of my daughter. Or, I mean, granted, I have my husband. My, my husband works more than 40 hours a week, so he's not he's not there. And mm-hmm. when he's not there, I have to figure out, okay, what do I do with my daughter if I have something? Uh-huh. You know, um, if I have to go shoot a wedding, who's going to take care of her? He can't because he's at work. Or, mm-hmm. you know, when COVID hit, and I'm a little jealous of this, when COVID hit, a lot of people got to stay home. <sighs> I'm still bitter about this. I am still bitter. 
and she, you know the the author of this book she didn't have she have her a husband she didn't have a second income so she's trying to work with two little ones and her grandma's there to help her you know when she can but i can't and she's talking about trying to get emails done and write letters of recommendations and do research i can't i can't even work on my thesis when i'm home you know because there's always somebody asking me for something it's there's it's like there's always someone stopping you every two minutes. So then you end up accomplishing nothing. Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids. Uh, so that one's tough for me to actually relate to or say anything relevant about, you know, trying to get work done at home does get somewhat difficult when, when you have other things going on, you know, I mean, that, like Britt and I only have one day off together and, um, you know, for that day, gotta prioritize gotta prioritize family but it also means that i've got only one day to do all this other work Mm -hmm. so yeah and um and she was just discussing how you have like the um the professors who aren't tenured who are new professor professors or lecturers how they are given a lot of responsibility but they don't get the same benefits as like the tenured so they have all this work they're expected to do, but they don't necessarily have the same financial support. Um, and and that was kind of like the point of her bringing up is like she has all this work to do and she's trying to do this with as a mother with two kids. And yeah, it was, it was just me thinking about me trying to write this thesis, but I can't because I'm here homeschooling and, you know, have someone asking me for something every five minutes and how am I supposed mm. to get this work done? Yeah. And I, I can barely find yeah. time for things as is. I couldn't imagine what it would be like if I had kids as well. Yeah. And I still, and we still have this podcast and I still do freelance photography um, just to bring in a little extra cash here and there. So yeah, it was like, oh God, just the story of my life in this book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Time just seems to like, there just, there just isn't enough. There aren't enough hours in a day. I, I used to think that that, phrase was so dumb no i i hated it but it's the truth there aren't enough hours in the day to do everything that needs to be done and you know what i feel like that's been standing out like 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 just the amount of hours in the day and how i can't get things done in the past few weeks have really like hit me like Mm -hmm. i you know i schedule my week like every hour of my day a week in advance because i have so much to do you your your planner is insane thank you i appreciate that comment (laughs) And, (laughs) and I will, it's like, I wake up, I start my day and then all of a sudden it's eight o'clock and I'm like, oh my God, my day is over. What did I do? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm fairly okay with sticking to my schedule for the most part, but it goes by so fast and there's so much to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't, like, I just have one child and I have a husband that actually, you know, that helps me financially. So I can't imagine even having to deal with what she's been dealing with. And, you know, she discusses her, I think her grandmother ended up having a heart attack. So then her grandmother couldn't help her as much. And she was also giving her grandmother a few hundred dollars for helping out with the kids and cleaning the house and to send money back home to the Philippines. So she's not just supporting herself and the kids. She's also helping support her grandmother Mm -hmm. in some ways. So... It's her life is intense. It's very intense. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um 
and she discussed actually uh, and uh, we you know we i emailed her last minute hoping that the author could be on the show and uh, maybe we will maybe we'll get her on the show a little bit later yeah because you know, i'm sure that she's written other things that she we can, has we can yeah um but she you know the pre- is a preface or preface preface i always say I always said preface, but I've heard it said both ways. Because I read it as preface, but I think it's supposed to be spelled preface. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe somebody can tell us in the comments. But she discusses how she's gonna. She expects to get a lot of backlash from her book for speaking out about the racism and inequality, uh, academia, and how the system isn't meant for people of color or single mothers or you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'd really love to hear from her about what the reaction was when this book came out from her colleagues and and, and uh, people above her. Yeah, there, there's got to be, you know, a reaction to it. And I think, you know, a lot of times things like this don't come out specifically because of the fear of that reaction and because you can literally kind of put yourself on a blacklist mm-hmm. if you're not careful. And I kind of feel like maybe she gone far enough in her career where you know that's not really a concern well i think it's still a concern but where she may not be able to reach you know her past you know goals of success but she could still she has enough success she's already had had enough she's hit her glass ceiling she's i want to say hit her glass ceiling but i feel like if she even if she she can't reach her goals because of the backlash she's still in a position where she can at least still find a job uh-huh. um but um there's something else i was going to add to that but i don't remember now um i feel like though i should be discussing or we should be discussing more about this academic structure and mm-hmm. the racism within it but uh i totally went off on personal experiences <laughs> well and I, you know Yes, maybe we should be a little bit um, closer to the book topic, but uh, I also think that just if a book makes you connect that much, it's worth exploring, mm-hmm. and I think people are going to want to hear about that. And you know what? Uh, I was telling uh, my husband you know, that I was going to these conferences, and I'm very lucky that the PPAs and AABAs are in Reno this year. Because Sacramento is only two hours away. I don't have to pay for a plane ticket. I pay, you know, 60 bucks for gas. And I'm splitting. I mean, I have family up there. I could stay in Fernley for the week, but I don't want to. I'd rather stay in Reno. So I'm splitting a cheap hotel room with my friend. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I still have to pay for the SAAs. And I was telling my husband that, I, oh, I was like, oh, I got to get this hotel room for the SAAs. And he's like, is this for school? I'm like, well, it's networking. And he's like, do you have to go? I was like, well, it's for networking, so I should go. And and she mentions how, you know, she mentions, yes, it's expensive to go, but, you know, you should still be out there networking, making connections within your field. And also she enjoys, you know, meeting other people who, you know, have the same research as her or similar research or that she can connect with. I think she was in a discussion with other people of color at one of the conferences and, you know, they just discussed these topics as she felt a connection with them. But I think it's, I mean, yes, these conferences are expensive, but I think people forget how important it is to network. I'm assuming sociology is a small community like anthropology. So you want people to know who you are. 
You want to mm-hmm. go make these connections because when you go to apply for jobs, who are they going to pick? The appli- If you have two applications and they're both like the same resume, are you going to pick the person you know or the person you don't know? Yeah, and that's definitely true as well. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to put your name out there, got to get your face out there. And if you don't, then I mean, you're, you're, you're much more of a risk mm-hmm. is really what, what it comes back to. And it's oh. something that I oh sorry so I, <laughs> I was gonna say it's you go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, and it's also a good way to find people who are researching similar topics as you, so that you can collaborate with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I forgot what I was even gonna say. It probably wasn't that relevant. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but yeah, like I have a a, a peer of mine. She's very good. She's very, she, she does. I don't think she likes networking, but she's very good at it. She's very just good at just going up to people and introducing herself. And she, you know, she has like, she's like that person where you talk to her about something. She's like, oh, wait, I I might know somebody. Let me get their info for you. You know, Uh Um, she's got, she's got all the contacts. She's got the contacts. Um, She's actually going to (laughs) be, she's a PhD student. She's actually going to have a P be a part of a PPA webinar. Um, this upcoming webinar they're having. Um, oh, yeah, I think I saw something about that. Yeah, she's great. Um, but she, because of networking at the at AFS last year, she got invited to go work on like a pilot study or something at some university. I can't even remember where she was at. Anyway, she got invited to go do research. And they're like, they're like, we like your research. We want you to come work here with us this summer. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. So that's, I mean, networking is important. And I think for people forget how important it is. It's just, we wish it was more affordable. (laughs) So, yes. Anyways. um, It does go into the difficulty of being promoted. And there's a, I think she brings up like bylaw 55 in California where schools determine how they're, who, who's going to vote for what, which kind of, um actually favors you know white men oh yeah Um, i mean you know you you stack the deck yeah and then discussing how i guess she's if i remember correctly there's been a there's been an increase i want to say if i read this right there's an increase of people of color and different ethnic backgrounds and stuff who have been hired as professors and lecturers but most of them are part-time um, like professors or something like that. So they don't get the same benefits as full-time and it's very difficult for them to become full-time professors or tenure track. So it's a whole mm-hmm. section on that. Um, which, you know what? And, and, and this probably kind of hurt me with my PhD applications um, because, you know, I contacted professors in advance to see if, you know, there'd be people I'd want to work with. And I mentioned to them, it's like, I, my concern is finding a program that's going to give me hands-on experience because I'm worried I'm going to get this PhD in forensic anthropology and then I'm not even going to know how to, you know, write a report up or something. I'm not going to have any skills to help me in the actual lab because I feel mm-hmm. like so many people are focused on, like, I understand the importance of publishing, but... That's not my main focus. My main focus isn't to publish, it's to get the skills I need to actually work in a lab. And I think that kind of hurt me. Mm-hmm. 
because I think they they want people who are who are passionate about doing research and producing you know results and not just another person working in a lab I guess I, f I feel like that might have hurt me but I mean I didn't want to well, lie <laughs> yeah I, I mean if you look out if you look at the job market, there are so many different positions for people who have lab experience. Mm -hmm. So it, it's very heavily incentivized to have that experience. But like the people who are trying to actually, you know, write these papers and publish and do all this other thing, they they already have their lab people. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's yeah, uh, yeah maybe it, maybe it did hurt you. It's just. It seems like a catch twenty two. Like you, you need the lab experience, but nobody wants to give it out. And I mean, well, like the like the programs, like one of the programs I applied for, they're very well, very well known for forensic anthropology. They have a great. They're known for having, you know, giving mm -hmm. their students that experience. But they also want, I think, want students who are going to produce those papers and research and. Uh, that's not my main focus. And, and, and I also mentioned, and, and because of that, I also mentioned, you know what, I don't really want to work in academics. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I do, I maybe go work at a community college or something, but that's not my main goal is to be a professor at like a university. That is my main goal. Like, but <laughs> but um, I don't, but that, that, that'll come down the line. <laughs> but I mean, the politics she discusses is part of the reason why I don't want to be a professor. I don't want to deal with the politics, you know, you know, the politics are kind of a downside mm -hmm. to it. Like, it does make me want to just uh, ditch the whole professor thing and just go dig in a hole somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, you know? I don't, I want, if, I be, if I'm a professor, I want to focus on, you know, educating and setting my students up for success and not have to worry about, oh, did I, you know, publish enough papers this year, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, the community college route works out good there because you're not worried about research you're just teaching people and opening up minds and mm -hmm. trying to get people on the on the same page but at the same time it's a community college and you're not going to have the you know mm -hmm. the the high income you're not going to have the real um you're not going to get the funding and research you want to do yeah it, it's just not going to it's not going to put you anywhere that's going to be well, I just not to say anything bad about community colleges or community college teachers or anything, but it it's not real anthropology. If uh, I don't know that 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 sounds wrong, but it's, it's the truth. It's you're not out there with the people. You're not doing you know anything well, that's you do got to give CRC credit for that that lab, the crawl lab where they. That's true. Yeah, that's true. The I and CR actually CRC is pretty good with anthropology, the, and they well, mm -hmm. they do have for a community college at least. Uh, um, they have a they have a good program and they do they they used to do a lot of events. They haven't done them in, yeah. since COVID, but um, the the anthropology department used to do a lot of their own events and, mm -hmm. and really they did a good job with it for for a, a long time. Like I said before COVID, but at the same time, like how many of them are out? They're, you know, out in the really field. Um, and they actually know. have that um, uh, GIS for anthropologist certificate, too. I mean, who else has that? Nobody? Yeah, that's true. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, props for props for CRC for um for the anthropology support they have. <laughs> like for I mean, really, they set you up to. I'm um, they really kind of set you up, I think, to be put you in a in a, in a position where you can get a job. I think, but we're kind of off topic again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna, you know, that that's normal. Back to the book. Yeah, back to the book. Um, actually, I don't think I really have anything else for <laughs> the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't have anything else. But um, <laughs> it sounds like this was a uh, a really good read, and, and I'm gonna have to make time to sit down and actually, you know, read it as well. It honestly, you're probably a way faster reader than me. You could probably get it done in two days. Um, Maybe. Um, I do have dyslexia, so oh, that's, you know, that's true. why that's why I do so many audibles rather than. I feel than, like you're uh, still a faster reader than me. I'm a really slow reader. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I I do I do read a lot. I do read a lot. It's just more comfortable to to listen than than use the uh, paper. Um, when I'm actually reading off of the screen or off of a page, I just need to have I need to block out distractions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. That's about it. (laughs) Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to me rant today. (laughs) And uh, thanks for humoring me. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to check us out on our website, www.anthropotamus.com. And we are also now on YouTube. Until next month. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Distribution of Anthropotamus is in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Please continue to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Anthropotamus for our latest episodes, show notes, and book discussion schedule.